Section thirty seven of the Treasure Chest of My Book House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lois Hill. The Treasure Chest of My Book House. Edited by Olive Beaupre Miller. The Nuremberg Stove. August lived in a little town called Hall. Hall is a favorite name for several towns in Austria and Germany, but this one especial little hall, in the upper Inthal, is one of the most charming old-world places that I know, and August, for his part, did not know any other. It has the green meadows and the great mountains all about it, and the gray-green glacier-fed water rushes by it. It has paved streets and enchanting little shops that have all latticed panes and iron gratings to them. It has a very grand old Gothic church that has the noblest blendings of light and shadow, and a look of infinite strength and repose as a church should have. Then there is the Muncie Tower, black and white, rising out of greenery and looking down on a long wooden bridge and the broad, rapid river, and there is an old schloss which has been made into a guard-house, with battlements and frescoes and heraldic devices in gold and colors and a man-at-arms carved in stone, standing life-size in his niche, and bearing his date, 1530. In this little town, a few years ago, August Strela lived with his people in the stone-paved irregular square where the grand church stands. He was a small boy of nine years at that time, a chubby-faced little man with rosy cheeks, big hazel eyes, and clusters of curls the brown of ripe nuts. His mother was dead, his father was poor, and there were many mouths at home to feed. In this country the winters are long and very cold, and this night was terribly cold and dreary. The good burghers of Hall had shut their double shutters, and the few lamps there were flickered dully behind their quaint old-fashioned iron casings. The mountains indeed were beautiful, all snow-white under the stars. Hardly any one was astir. A few good souls wending home from vespers, a tired postboy who blew a shrill blast from his tasseled horn as he pulled up his sledge before a hostelry, and little August, were all who were abroad, for the snow fell heavily and the good folks of Hall go early to their beds. He was half frozen and a little frightened, but he kept up his courage by saying over and over again to himself, I shall soon be at home with dear Hirschvogel. He went on through the streets into the place where the great church was, and where near it stood his father's house with the pilgrimage of the three kings painted on its wall. The snow outlined with white every gable and cornice of the beautiful old wooden houses. The moonlight shone on the gilded signs, the lambs, the grapes, the eagles, and all the quaint devices that hung before the doors. Here and there, where a shutter had not been closed, a ruddy firelight lit up a homely interior, with the noisy band of children clustering round the house-mother and a big brown loaf, while the oil-wicks glimmered and the hearth-logs blazed, and the chestnuts sputtered in their iron roasting-pot. At August's knock, the solid oak door of his father's home, four centuries old if one, flew open, and the boy darted in. It was a large, barren room into which he rushed with so much pleasure, and the bricks were bare and uneven. It had a walnut-wood press, handsome and very old, a broad deal table, and several wooden stools for all its furniture. 
but at the top of the chamber sending out warmth and color together as the lamp shed its rays upon it was a tower of porcelain burnished with all the hues of a king's peacock and a queen's jewels and surmounted with armed figures and shields and flowers of heraldry and a great golden crown upon the highest summit of all it was a stove of fifteen thirty two and on it were the letters h r h for it was the handwork of the great potter of nuremberg augustin hirschvogel who put his mark thus as all the world knows the stove no doubt had stood in palaces and been made for princes had warmed the crimson stockings of cardinals and the gold broidered shoes of archduchesses no one knew what it had seen or done or been fashioned for but it was a right royal thing yet perhaps it had never been more useful than it was now in this poor desolate room sending down heat and comfort into the troop of children tumbled together on a wolfskin at its feet who received frozen august among them with loud shouts of joy oh dear hirschvogel i am so cold so cold said august kissing its gilded lion's claws is father not in dorothea no dear he is late dorothea was a girl of seventeen dark-haired and serious she was the eldest of the strela family and there were ten of them in all next to her there came jan and karl and otho big lads gaining a little for their own living and then came august who went up in the summer to the high alps with the farmer's cattle but in winter could do nothing and then all the little ones who could only open their mouths to be fed like young birds albrecht and hilda and waldo and christoph and last of all little three-year-old ermengilda with eyes like forget-me-nots they were of that mixed race half austrian half italian so common in the tyrol some of the children were white and golden as lilies others were brown and brilliant as fresh fallen chestnuts the father was a good man but weak and weary with so many to find food for and so little to do it with he worked at the salt furnaces and by that gained a few florins dorothea was one of those maidens who almost work miracles so far can their industry and care and intelligence make a home sweet and wholesome and a single loaf seem to swell into twenty the children were always clean and happy and the table was seldom without its big pot of soup once a day still very poor they were and dorothea's heart ached with shame for she knew that their father's debts were many for flour and meat and clothing of fuel to feed the big stove they had always enough without cost for their mother's father was alive and sold wood and fir cones and coke and never grudged them to his grandchildren father says we are never to wait for him we will have supper now you have come home dear said dorothea supper was a huge bowl of soup with big slices of brown bread swimming in it and some onions bobbing up and down the bowl was soon emptied by ten wooden spoons and then the three eldest boys slipped off to bed being tired with their rough bodily labor in the snow all day dorothea drew her spinning wheel by the stove and set it whirring and the little ones got august down upon the old worn wolfskin and clamored to him for a picture or a story for august was the artist of the family he had a piece of planed deal that his father had given him and some sticks of charcoal and he would draw a hundred things he had seen in the day sweeping each other out with his elbow when the children had seen enough of it and sketching another in its stead faces and dogs heads and men in sledges 
and old women in their furs and pine trees and cocks and hens and all sorts of animals and now and then very reverently a madonna and child it was all very rough for there was no one to teach him anything but it was all lifelike and kept the whole troop of children shrieking with laughter or watching breathless with wide-open wondering awed eyes they were all so happy what did they care for the snow outside their little bodies were warm and their hearts merry even dorothea troubled about the bread for the morrow laughed as she spun and august with all his soul in his work cried out loud smiling as he looked up at the stove that was shedding its heat down on them all oh dear hirschvogel you are almost as great and good as the sun no you are greater and better i think because he goes away nobody knows where all these long dark cold hours but you you are always ready just a little bit of wood to feed you and you will make a summer for us all the winter through the grand old stove seemed to smile through all its iridescent surface at the praises of the child no doubt though it had known three centuries and more it had known but very little gratitude it was one of those magnificent stoves in enamel of great height and breadth with all the majolica lustre which hirschvogel learned to give to his enamels there was the statue of a king at each corner the body of the stove itself was divided into panels which had the ages of man painted on them the borders of the panels had roses and holly and laurel and other foliage and german mottoes in black letters the whole was burnished with gilding in many parts and was radiant everywhere with that brilliant coloring of which the hirschvogel family were all masters nothing was known of the stove at this latter day in hall the grandfather strela who had been a master mason had dug it up out of some ruins where he was building and finding it without a flaw had taken it home and only thought it worth finding because it was such a good one to burn that was now sixty years past and ever since then the stove had stood in the big desolate empty room warming three generations of the strela family and having seen nothing prettier perhaps in all its many years than the children tumbled now in a cluster like gathered flowers at its feet to the children the stove was a household god in summer they laid a mat of fresh moss all round it and dressed it up with green boughs and the numberless beautiful wild flowers of the tyrol country in winter all their joys centered in it and scampering home from school over the ice and snow they were happy knowing they would soon be cracking nuts or roasting chestnuts in the broad ardent glow of its noble tower which rose eight feet high above them with all its spires and pinnacles and crowns once a traveling peddler had told them that the letters on it meant augustin hirschvogel and that hirschvogel had been a great german potter and painter in the city of nuremberg and had made many such stoves that were all miracles of beauty and of workmanship putting all his heart and soul and faith into his labors as the men of those earlier ages did and thinking but little of gold or praise so the stove had got to be called hirschvogel in the family as if it were a living creature and little august was very proud because he had been named after that famous old german who had had the genius to make so glorious a thing all the children loved the stove but with august the love of it was a passion and in his secret heart he used to say to himself when i am a man i will make just such things too and then i will set hirschvogel in a beautiful room in a house that i will build myself that is what i will do 
for august a salt baker's son and a little cowkeeper when he was anything was a dreamer of dreams and when he was upon the high alps with his cattle with the stillness and the sky around him was quite certain that he would live for greater things than driving the herds up when the spring tide came among the blue sea of gentians or toiling down in the town with wood and with timber as his father and grandfather did every day of their lives he was a strong and healthy little fellow fed on the free mountain air and he was very happy and loved his family devotedly and was as active as a squirrel and as playful as a hare but he was always thinking 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 for all that august lay now in the warmth of the stove and told the children stories his own little brown face growing red with excitement as his imagination glowed to fever heat that human being on the panels had always had the most intense interest for august and he had made not one history for him but a thousand he seldom told them the same tale twice in the midst of their chatter and laughter a blast of frozen air and a spray of driven snow struck like ice through the room and reached them even in the warmth of the old wolf-skins and the great stove it was the door which had opened and let in the cold it was their father who had come home the younger children ran joyous to meet him dorothea pushed the one wooden armchair of the room to the stove and august flew to set the jug of beer on a little round table and fill a long clay pipe for their father was good to them all and they had been trained by the mother they had loved to dutifulness and obedience and a watchful affection Tonight Carl Strela responded very wearily to the young one's welcome, and came to the wooden chair with a tired step, and sat down heavily, not noticing either pipe or beer. He was a fair, tall man, gray before his time, and bowed with labor. "'Take the children to bed,' he said suddenly, and Dorothea obeyed. August stayed behind, curled before the stove. When Dorothea came down again, the cuckoo clock in the corner struck eight. She looked to her father and the untouched pipe, then sat down to her spinning, saying nothing. There was a long silence. The cuckoo called the quarter twice. August dropped asleep. Dorothea's wheel hummed like a cat. Suddenly Carl Strela struck his hand on the table, sending the pipe on the ground. "'I have sold Hirschvogel,' he said, and his voice was husky and ashamed in his throat. The spinning wheel stopped." August sprang erect out of his sleep. "'Sold Hirschvogel?' "'I have sold Hirschvogel,' said Karl Strela, in the same husky, dogged voice. "'I have sold it to a traveling trader for two hundred florins.' "'What would you? I owe double that. He saw it this morning when you were all out. He will pack it and take it to Munich to-morrow.' Dorothea gave a low, shrill cry. "'Oh, father! The children in midwinter!' She turned white as the snow without. August stood, half-blind with sleep, staring with dazed eyes. "'It is not true,' he muttered. "'You are jesting, father.' Strela broke into a dreary laugh. "'It is true. Would you like to know what is true, too? That the bread you eat, and the meat you put in this pot, and the roof you have over your heads are none of them paid for, have been none of them paid for, for months and months.' If it had not been for your grandfather, I should have been in prison all summer and autumn, and he is out of patience and will do no more now. Boy, you stare at me as if I were a mad dog. You have made a god of yon china thing. Well, it goes. Goes to-morrow. Two hundred florins, that is something. 
It will keep me out of prison for a little, and with the spring things may turn. August stood like a creature paralyzed. His eyes were wide open, fastened on his father's with terror and incredulous horror. His face had grown as white as his sister's. His chest heaved with tearless sobs. "'It is not true!' he echoed stupidly. It seemed to him that the very skies must fall if they could take away Hirschvogel. They might as soon talk of tearing God's son out of the heavens. "'You will find it true,' said his father doggedly, and angered because he was in his own soul bitterly ashamed to have bartered away the heirloom and treasure of his race and the comfort of his young children. "'The dealer has paid me half the money to-night, and will pay me the other half to-morrow. No doubt it is worth a great deal more, but beggars cannot be choosers.' The little black stove in the kitchen will warm you all just as well. Who would keep a gilded, painted thing in a poorhouse like this, when one can make two hundred florins by it? What is it when all is said? A bit of hardware much too grand-looking for such a room as this. August gave a shrill shriek and threw himself at his father's feet. Oh, father, he cried, his hands closing on Strela's knees. Oh, father, "'Dear father, you cannot mean what you say. "'Send it away, our life, our son, our joy, our comfort. "'Sell me, rather. "'But, Hirschvogel, you, you must be in jest. "'You could not do such a thing. "'It is not a piece of hardware, as you say. "'It is a living thing, for a great man's thoughts and fancies "'have put life into it. "'and it loves us, though we are only poor little children, "'and we love it with all our hearts and souls. "'Oh, listen, I will go and try and get work to-morrow. "'I will ask them to let me cut ice or make the paths through the snow. "'There must be something I could do, "'and I will beg the people we owe money to to wait. "'They are all neighbors. They will be patient. "'But sell Hirschvogel? Oh, never, never, never! "'Give the Florence back to the man.' Oh, father, dear father, do hear me for pity's sake. Strela was moved by the boy's anguish. He loved his children, and their pain was pain to him. But stronger than emotion was the anger that August roused in him. He hated and despised himself for the barter of the heirloom of his race, and every word of the child stung him with a stinging sense of shame, and he spoke in his wrath rather than in his sorrow. "'You are a little fool,' he said, harshly, as they had never heard him speak. "'Get up and go to bed. There is no more to be said. Children like you have nothing to do with such matters. The stove is sold and goes to Munich to-morrow. What is it to you?' "'Be thankful I can get bread for you. Get on your legs, I say, and go to bed.' Then Strela took the oil-lamp that stood at his elbow and stumbled off to his own chamber. August laughed aloud. Then all at once his laughter broke down into bitterest weeping. He threw himself forward on the stove, covering it with kisses, and sobbing as though his heart would burst from his bosom. What could he do? Nothing. Nothing, nothing. August, dear August, whispered Dorothea piteously, and trembling all over, for she was a very gentle girl, and fierce feeling terrified her. August, do not lie there. Come to bed. In the morning you will be calmer. It is horrible indeed, but if it be father's will. Let me alone, said August through his teeth, striving to still the storm of sobs that shook him from head to foot. Let me alone. 
in the morning how can you speak of the morning come to bed dear sighed his sister oh august do not lie and look like that you frighten me do come to bed i shall stay here here all night they might take it in the night besides to leave it now but it is cold the fire is out it will never be warm any more nor shall we all his childhood had gone out of him all his gleeful careless sunny temper had gone with it he spoke sullenly and wearily choking down the great sobs in his chest to him it was as if the end of the world had come his sister lingered by him while striving to persuade him to go to his place in the little crowded bedchamber with albrecht and waldo and christoph but it was in vain i shall stay here was all he answered her and he stayed all the night long the lamps went out the rats came and ran across the floor as the hours crept on through midnight and past the cold intensified and the air of the room grew like ice august did not move he lay with his face downward on the golden and rainbow-hued pedestal of the household treasure which henceforth was to be cold for evermore an exiled thing in a far-off land whilst yet it was dark his three elder brothers came down the stairs and let themselves out each bearing his lantern and going to his work in stone yard and timber yard and at the salt works they did not notice him they did not know what had happened a little later his sister came down with a light in her hand to make ready the house ere morning should break she stole up to him and laid her hand on his shoulder timidly dear august you must be frozen august do look up do speak it is morning only so dark august shuddered all over the morning he echoed he slowly rose up to his feet i will go to grandfather he said very low he is always good perhaps he could save it loud blows with the heavy iron knocker of the house door drowned his words a strange voice called aloud through the keyhole let me in quick there is no time to lose more snow like this and the roads will all be blocked let me in do you hear i am come to take the great stove august sprang erect his fists doubled his eyes blazing you shall never touch it he screamed you shall never touch it who shall prevent us laughed a big man who was a bavarian amused at the fierce little figure fronting him i said august you shall never have it strela said the big man as august's father entered the room you have got a little mad dog here muzzle him one way and another they did muzzle him he fought like a little demon and hit out right and left but he was soon mastered by four grown men and his father flung him with no light hand out from the door of the back entrance and the buyers of the stately and beautiful stove set to work to pack it heedfully and carry it away when dorothea stole out to look for august he was nowhere in sight she went back to little gilda and sobbed whilst the others stood looking on dimly understanding that with hirschvogel was going all the warmth of their bodies all the light of their hearth in another moment hirschvogel was gone gone forever and i august had stood still for a time leaning against the back wall of the house the wall looked on a court where a well was into the court an old neighbor hobbled for water and seeing the boy said child is it true your father is selling the big stove august nodded his head then burst into a passion of tears 
"'Well, for sure he is a fool,' said the neighbor. "'Heaven forgive me for calling him so before his own child. "'But the stove was worth a mint of money. "'If sell it he must, he should have taken it to good Herr Steiner over at Sprutz, "'who would have given him honest value. "'But if I were you, I would do better than cry. "'I would go after it.' "'Then the old man hobbled away.' August remained leaning against the wall, his head was buzzing and his heart fluttered with the new idea which had presented itself to his mind. Go after it, had said the old man. He thought, why not go with it? He was by this time in that state of exaltation in which the impossible looks quite natural and commonplace. He ran out of the courtyard and across to the huge Gothic porch of the church. From there he could watch unseen his father's door. Presently his heart gave a great leap, for he saw the straw-enwrapped stove brought out and laid with infinite care on the bullock dray. Two of the Bavarian men mounted beside it, and the sleigh-wagon slowly crept over the snow of the place. The noble old minster looked its grandest and most solemn, with its dark gray stone and its vast archways, and its strange gargoyles and lamp-irons black against the snow, but for once August had no eyes for it he only watched for his old friend. Then he, a little unnoticeable figure enough, like a score of other boys in hall, crept, unseen by any of his brothers or sisters, out of the porch and followed in the wake of the dray. Its course lay towards the station of the railway. August heard the Bavarians arguing a great deal, and learned that they meant to go too, and wanted to go with the great stove itself. But this they could not do, for neither could the stove go by a passenger train nor they themselves go in a goods train so at length they insured their precious burden for a large sum and consented to send it by a luggage train which was to pass through hall in half an hour august heard and a desperate resolve made itself up in his little mind where hirschvogel went would he go he gave one terrible thought to dorothea poor gentle dorothea sitting in the cold at home then set to work to execute his project how he managed it he never knew very clearly himself but certain it is that when the goods train from the north moved out of hall august was hidden behind the stove in the great covered truck and wedged unseen and undreamt of by any human creature amidst the cases of wood carving of clocks of vienna toys of turkish carpets of russian skins which shared the same abode as did his swathed and bound hirschvogel it was very dark in the closed truck, which had only a little window above the door, but August was not frightened. He was close to Hirschvogel, and presently he meant to be closer still, for he meant to do nothing less than get inside Hirschvogel itself. Being a shrewd little boy, and having had by great luck two silver groschen in his breeches pocket, which he had earned the day before by chopping wood, he had bought some bread and sausage at the station of a woman there who knew him, and who thought he was going out to his uncle Joachim's chalet above Genbach. This he ate in the darkness. When he had eaten, he set to work like a little mouse to make a hole in the withes of straw and hay which enveloped the stove. He gnawed and nibbled and pulled and pushed, making his hole where he guessed that the opening of the stove was, the opening through which he had so often thrust the big oak logs to feed it. No one disturbed him. The heavy train went lumbering on and on, and he saw nothing at all of the beautiful mountains and shining waters and great forests through which he was being carried. He was hard at work getting through the straw and hay and twisted ropes, and at last he found the door of the stove, which he knew so well, 
and which was quite large enough for a child of his age to slip through. Slip through he did, as he had often done at home for fun, and curled himself up there to see if he could anyhow remain during many hours. He found that he could. Air came in through the brass fretwork of the stove, and with admirable caution in such a little fellow, he leaned out, drew the hay and straw together, and rearranged the ropes so that no one could ever have dreamed a little mouse had been at them. Then he curled himself up again, this time more like a dormouse than anything else, and being safe inside his dear Hirschvogel and intensely cold, he went fast asleep as if he were in his own bed at home with Albrecht and Christoph on either side of him. The train lumbered on, and the child slept soundly for a long while. When he did awake it was quite dark. He could not see, and for a while he was sorely frightened, and sobbed in a quiet, heartbroken fashion, thinking of them all at home. But August was brave, and he had a firm belief that God and Hirschvogel would take care of him. So he got over his terror and his sobbing both. The goods trains are usually very slow, and are many days doing what a quick train does in a few hours. This one was quicker than most, because it was bearing goods to the King of Bavaria. Still, it took all the short winter's day and the long winter's night, and half another day, to go over ground that the mail trains cover in a forenoon. It passed pretty Rosenheim that marks the border of Bavaria, and here the Nuremberg stove, with August inside it, was lifted out heatfully and set under a covered way. When it was lifted out, the boy had hard work to keep in his screams. He was tossed to and fro as the men lifted the huge thing, and the earthenware walls of his beloved fire-king were not cushions of down. However, though they swore and grumbled at the weight of it, they never suspected that a living child was inside it, and they carried it out onto the platform and set it down under the roof of the goods shed. There it passed the rest of the night and all the next morning, and August was all the while within it. He had still some of his loaf, and a little, a very little, of his sausage. What he did begin to suffer was thirst. It was many hours since he had last taken a drink from the wooden spout of their old pump, which brought them the sparkling ice-cold water of the hills. But fortunately for him, the stove, having been marked and registered as fragile and valuable, was not treated quite like a mere bale of goods, and the Rosenheim station-master resolved to send it on by a passenger train that would leave there at daybreak. Munich was reached, and August, hot and cold by turns, and shaking like a little aspen leaf, felt himself once more carried out on the shoulders of men, rolled along a truck, and finally set down, where he knew not, only he knew he was thirsty, so thirsty, if only he could have reached his hand out and scooped up a little snow. He thought he had been moved on this truck many miles, but in truth the stove had only been taken from the railway station to a shop in the Marienplatz. Fortunately, the stove was always set upright on its four gilded feet, an injunction to that effect having been affixed to its written label, and on its gilded feet it stood now in the small, dark curiosity shop of one Hans Rilfer. I shall not unpack it till Anton comes, he heard a man's voice say, and then he heard a key grate in a lock, and by the unbroken stillness that ensued he concluded he was alone, and ventured to peep through the straw and hay. What he saw was a small square room filled with pots and pans, pictures, carvings, old blue jugs, old steel armor, shields, daggers, Chinese idols, Vienna china, Turkish rugs, and all the rubbish of a bric-a-brac dealer's. It seemed a wonderful place to him, 
but oh was there one drop of water in it all that was his single thought there was not a drop of water but there was a lattice window grated and beyond the window was a wide stone ledge covered with snow august cast one look at the locked door darted out of his hiding place ran and opened the window crammed the snow into his mouth again and again and then flew back into the stove drew the hay and straw over the place he entered by and shut the brass door down on himself presently the key turned in the lock he heard heavy footsteps and the voice of the man who had said to his father you have a little mad dog muzzle him the voice said ay ay you have called me a fool many times now you shall see what i have gotten for two hundred dirty florins potsta send never did you do such a stroke of work then the other voice grumbled and swore and the steps of the two men approached more closely and the heart of the child went pit-a-pat pit-a-pat they began to strip the stove of its wrappings that he could tell by the noise they made with the hay and the straw soon they had stripped it wholly that too he knew by the oaths and exclamations of wonder and surprise and rapture which broke from the man who had not seen it before a right royal thing a wonderful and never to be rivalled thing grander than the great stove of hohen salzburg sublime magnificent matchless after standing by the nuremberg master's work for nigh an hour praising and marvelling the men moved to a little distance and began talking of sums of money and divided profits of which discourse he could make out no meaning all he could make out was that the name of the king the king the king came very often in their arguments he fancied at times they quarrelled for they swore lustily and their voices rose hoarse and high but after a while they seemed to agree to something and were in great glee he made out that they were going to show hirschvogel to some great person he kept quite still and dared not move presently the door opened again sharply he could hear the two dealers voices murmuring unctuous words in which honor gratitude and many fine long noble titles played the chief parts the voice of another person more clear and refined than theirs answered them curtly and then close by the stove and the boy's ear ejaculated a single wunderschön the poor little boy meanwhile within was hugged up into nothing dreading that every moment the stranger would open the stove and open it truly he did and examined the brasswork of the door but inside it was so dark that crouching august passed unnoticed screwed up into a ball like a hedgehog as he was the gentleman shut to the door at length without having seen anything strange inside it and then talked long and low with the tradesman the child could distinguish little that he said except the name of the king and the word gulden again and again after a while he went away one of the dealers accompanying him one of them lingering behind to bar up the shutters then this one also withdrew double locking the door he would have to pass the night here that was certain he and hirschvogel were locked in but at least they were together if only he could have had something to eat he thought with a pang of how at this hour at home they ate the sweet soup sometimes with apples in it from aunt mela's farm orchard and sang together and listened to dorothea's reading of tales and basked in the glow that beamed on them from the great nuremberg fire king after a time he dropped asleep midnight was chiming from all the brazen tongues of the city when he awoke and all being still 
ventured to put his head out the door of the stove to see why such a strange bright light was round him. What he saw was nothing less than all the bric-a-brac in motion. A big jug was solemnly dancing a minuet with a plump fanza jar. A tall Dutch clock was going through a gavotte with a spindle-legged ancient chair. An old violin of Cremola was playing itself. A queer, shrill, plaintive music that thought itself merry came from a painted spinet covered with faded roses, and a Japanese bronze was riding along on a griffin. A great number of little Dresden cups and saucers were all skipping and waltzing. The teapots with their broad round faces were spinning their own lids like teetotums, and a little sax poodle, with a red ribbon at its throat, was running from one to another. August looked on at these mad freaks and felt no sensation of wonder. He only, as he heard the violin and the spinet playing, felt an irresistible desire to dance too. No doubt his face said what he wished, for a lovely little lady, all in pink and gold and white, with powdered hair, and high-heeled shoes, and all made of the very finest and fairest mason china, tripped up to him and smiled and gave him her hand and led him out to a minuet. "'I am the Princess of Saxe-Royale,' she said with a smile. Then he ventured to say to her, "'Madam, my princess, could you tell me kindly why some of the figures dance and speak and some lie up in a corner like lumber? Is it rude to ask?' "'My dear child,' said the powdered lady is it possible that you do not know the reason why those silent dull things are imitation lies falsehoods fabrications they only pretend to be what we are they never wake up how can they no imitation ever had any soul in it yet then from where the great stove stood there came a solemn voice all eyes turned upon hirschvogel and the heart of its little human comrade gave a great jump of joy. At last he would hear Hirschvogel speak. "'My friends,' said that clear voice from the turret of Nuremberg Vance, "'we were made in days when men were true creatures, and so we, the work of their hands, were true too. We derive all the value in us from the fact that our makers wrought at us with zeal, with integrity, with faith not to win fortunes, but to do nobly an honest thing and create for the honor of the arts and God. I see amidst you a little human thing who loves me and in his own childish way loves art. Now I want him forever to remember that we are what we are and precious in the eyes of the world, because centuries ago those who were of single mind and of pure hand so created us, scorning sham and haste and counterfeit well do i recollect my master augustin hirschvogel he led a wise and blameless life and wrought in loyalty and love and made his time beautiful thereby for many many years i once honored of emperors dwelt in a humble house and warmed in successive winters three generations of little cold hungry children when i warmed them they forgot that they were hungry they laughed and told tales and slept at last about my feet. Then I knew that, humble as had become my lot, it was one that my master would have wished for me, and I was content. That was better than to stand in a great hall of a great city, cold and empty, 
even though wise men came to gaze and throngs of fools gaped, passing with flattering words. Where I go now I know not, but since I go from that humble house where they loved me, I shall be sad and alone. Then the voice sank away in silence, and a strange golden light that had shone on the great stove faded away. A soft, pathetic melody stole gently through the room. It came from the old, old spinet that was covered with the faded roses. Then that sad, sighing music of a bygone day died too. The clocks of the city struck six of the morning. Day was rising over the Barishenwald. August awoke with a great start and found himself lying on the bare bricks of the floor of the chamber, and all the bric-a-brac was lying quite still all around. He rose slowly to his feet. Tramp, tramp, came a heavy step up the stair. He had but a moment in which to scramble back into the great stove, when the door opened and the two dealers entered, bringing candles with them to see their way. August was scarcely conscious of danger more than he was of cold or hunger, now that he had heard Hushfogel speak. A marvellous sense of courage, of security, of happiness, was about him, like strong and gentle arms enfolding him and lifting him upwards, upwards, upwards. Hirschvogel would defend him. The dealers undid the shutters and then began to wrap up the stove once more in all its straw and hay and cordage. Presently they called up their porters, and the stove, heedfully swathed and tended as though it were some prince going on a journey, was borne on the shoulders of six stout Bavarians down the stairs and out of the door. Even behind all those wrappings August felt the icy bite of the intense cold at dawn of a winter's day in Munich. The men moved the stove with exceeding gentleness and care, so that he had often been far more roughly shaken in his big brother's arms than he was in his journey now. The stout carriers tramped right across Munich to the railway station, whether for a long or a short journey, whether for weal or woe, the stove, with August still within it, was once more hoisted up into a great van, but this time it was not all alone, and the two dealers, as well as the six porters, were all with it. Though the men grumbled about the state of the roads and the season, they were hilarious and well content, for they laughed often, and August, like a shrewd little boy as he was, thought to himself with a terrible pang, they have sold Hirschvogel for some great sum. They have sold him already. It is but an hour and a quarter that the train usually takes to pass from Munich to the Worm Sea or the Lake of Starnberg. But this morning the journey was much slower because the way was encumbered by snow. When it did reach Possenhofen and stop, the stove was lifted out once more. August could see through the fretwork of the brass door that this Worm Sea was a calm and noble piece of water with low wooded banks and distant mountains, a peaceful serene place, full of rest. Before he had time to get more than a glimpse of the green gliding surface, the stove was again lifted up and placed on a large boat that was in waiting. The boat then moved across the lake to Leone. Presently they touched the pier at Leone. "'Now, men, for a stout mile and half,' said one of the dealers to his porters, who, stout strong men as they were, showed a disposition to grumble at their task. Encouraged by large promises, they shouldered sullenly the Nuremberg stove, grumbling again at its preposterous weight, but little dreaming that they carried within it a small, panting, trembling boy. The way the men took was a mile and a half in length, but the road was heavy with snow, and the burden they bore was heavier still. 
the dealers cheered them on swore at them and praised them in one breath the road seemed terribly long to the anxious tradesmen to the plodding porters to the poor little man inside the stove as he kept sinking and rising sinking and rising with each of their steps where they were going he had no idea only after a very long time he lost the sense of the fresh icy wind blowing on his face through the brasswork above and felt by their movements beneath him that they were mounting steps or stairs then he heard a great many different voices but he could not understand what was being said he felt that his bearers paused some time and then moved on and on again their feet went so softly he thought they must be moving on carpet and as he felt a warm air come to him he concluded that he was in some heated chambers what he fancied was that he was in some museum like that which he had seen in the city of innsbruck the voices he heard were very hushed and the steps seemed to go away far away leaving him alone with hirschvogel he dared not look out but he peeped through the brasswork and all he could see was a big carved lion's head in ivory with a gold crown atop it belonged to a velvet fauteuil but he could not see the chair only the ivory lion there was a delicious fragrance in the air a fragrance as of flowers only how can it be flowers thought august it is november from afar off as it seemed there came dreamy exquisite music he did not know it but he was in the royal castle of berg and the music he heard was the music of wagner who was playing in a distant room presently he heard a fresh step near him and he heard a low voice say close behind him so an exclamation no doubt of admiration and wonder at the beauty of hirschvogel then the same voice said after a long pause during which as august thought this newcomer was examining all the details of the wondrous fire tower it was well bought it is exceedingly beautiful it is undoubtedly the work of augustine hirschvogel then the hand of the speaker turned the round handle of the brass door and the fainting soul of the poor little prisoner within grew sick with fear the door was slowly drawn open someone bent down and looked in and the same voice called aloud in surprise what is this in it a live child then august terrified beyond all self-control and dominated by one master passion sprang out of the body of the stove and fell at the feet of the speaker oh let me stay pray mein herr let me stay he sobbed i have come all the way with hirschvogel some gentleman's hand seized him not gently by any means and their lips angrily muttered in his ear little knave peace be quiet hold your tongue it is the king they were about to drag him out of the august atmosphere as if he had been some dangerous beast come there to slay but the voice he had heard said in kind accents poor child he is very young let him go let him speak to me the word of a king is law to his courtiers so sorely against their wish the angry and astonished chamberlains let august slide out of their grasp and he stood there in his little rough sheepskin coat and his thick mud-covered boots with his curling hair all in a tangle in the midst of the most beautiful chamber he had ever dreamed of and in the presence of a young man with a beautiful dark face and eyes full of dreams and fire and the young man said to him my child how came you here hidden in this stove be not afraid tell me the truth i am the king august in an instinct of homage 
cast his great battered black hat with the tarnished gold tassels down on the floor of the room and folded his little brown hands in supplication he was too intensely in earnest to be in any way abashed he was too lifted out of himself by his love for hirschvogel to be conscious of any awe before any earthly majesty he was only so glad so glad it was the king oh dear king he said with trembling entreaty in his voice hirschvogel was ours we have loved it all our lives and father sold it when i saw that it did really go from us then i said to myself i would go with it and i have come all the way inside it and last night it spoke and said beautiful things and i pray you to let me live with it i will go out every morning and cut wood for it and you if only you will let me stay beside it no one ever has fed it with fuel but me since i grew big enough and it loves me it does indeed it said so last night and it said that it had been happier with us than if it were in any palace and then his breath failed him and as he lifted his eager pale face to the king's great tears were falling down his cheeks now the king liked all poetic and uncommon things and there was that in the child's face which pleased and touched him he motioned to his gentleman to leave the little boy alone what is your name he asked him i am august strela my father is karl strela we live in hall and hirschvogel has been ours so long so long his lips quivered with a broken sob and have you truly travelled in this stove all the way from tyrol yes said august no one thought to look inside till you did the king laughed then another view of the matter occurred to him who bought the stove of your father he inquired traders of munich said august what sum did they pay do you know two hundred florins said august with a great sigh of shame it was so much money and he is so poor and there are so many of us the king turned to his gentleman-in-waiting did these dealers of munich come with the stove he was answered in the affirmative he desired them to be sought for and brought before him as one of his chamberlains hastened on the errand the monarch looked at august with compassion you are very pale little fellow when did you eat last i had some bread and sausage with me yesterday afternoon i finished it you would like to eat now if i might have a little water i would be glad my throat is very dry the king had water and wine brought for him and cake also but august though he drank eagerly could not swallow anything his mind was in too great a tumult may i stay with hirschvogel he said with feverish agitation wait a little said the king and asked abruptly what do you wish to be when you are a man a painter i wish to be what hirschvogel was i mean the master that made my hirschvogel i understand said the king then the two dealers were brought into their sovereign's presence they were so terribly alarmed not being either so innocent or so ignorant as august was that they were trembling as though they were being led to the slaughter and they were so utterly astonished too at a child having come all the way from tyrol in the stove as a gentleman of the court had just told them this child has done that they could not tell what to say or where to look and presented a very foolish aspect indeed did you buy this stove of this boy's father for two hundred florins the king asked and his voice was no longer soft and kind as it had been when addressing the child but very stern yes your majesty murmured the trembling traders 
and how much did the gentleman who purchased it for me give to you two thousand ducats your majesty muttered the dealers frightened out of their wits and telling the truth in their fright you will give at once to this boy's father the two thousand gold ducats that you received less the two hundred austrian florins that you paid him said the king you are great rogues be thankful that you are not more greatly punished he dismissed them by a sign to his courtiers august heard and felt dazzled yet miserable two thousand gold bavarian ducats for his father why his father would never need to go any more to the salt baking and yet whether for ducats or for florins hirschvogel was sold just the same and would the king let him stay with it would he oh do please do he murmured joining his little brown weather-stained hands and kneeling before the young monarch he looked down on the child and smiled once more rise up my little man he said in a kind voice kneel only to your god will i let you stay with your hirschvogel yes i will you shall stay at my court and you shall be taught to be a painter you must grow up worthily and win all the laurels at our schools of art and if when you are twenty-one years old you have done well and bravely then i will give you your nuremberg stove and now go away with this gentleman and be not afraid and you shall light a fire every morning in hirschvogel but you will not need to go out and cut the wood then he smiled and stretched out his hand the courtiers tried to make august understand that he ought to bow and touch it with his lips but august could not understand that anyhow he was too happy he threw his two arms about the king's knees and kissed his feet passionately august is only a scholar yet but he is a happy scholar and promises to be a great man sometimes he goes back for a few days to hall where the gold ducats have made his father prosperous in the old house-room there is a large white porcelain stove of munich the king's gift to dorothea and gilda and august never goes home without going into the great church and saying his thanks to god who blessed his strange winter's journey in the nuremberg stove as for his dream in the dealer's room that night he will never admit that he did dream it he still declares that he saw it all and heard the voice of hirschvogel and who shall say that he did not for what is the gift of the poet and the artist except to see the sights which others cannot see and hear the sounds that others cannot hear end of section 37 recording by lois hill camii idaho